All right. Good morning, City Light. How we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here on this Super Bowl Sunday. Whoa, whoa. Doesn't y'all care? You're like, the commanders aren't in it, nor will they ever be, so might as well just get used to it. Hey, are there Niners fans in here? Does anybody care? I, I saw Brock Purdy talking about being a Christian. I was like, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to root for him now, so... All right, well, uh, in light of the Super Bowl, just as an FYI, we have a little party tonight. You can watch the Super Bowl here in the sanctuary, eat some food, hang out, bring your friends. So it starts at 6.30, right when the Lose service ends, okay? So we're going to transition right from Lose service into Super Bowl Sunday if you want to join us tonight. Hey, last week, I hope you guys were encouraged about all God is doing. Got to hear from Alex Matala about what God is doing in Uganda, which represents so many things that God is doing all around the world. I hope that lights a fire in you to continue to see that. While you guys were here, uh, me and a bunch of the young adults were over in Canaan Valley, West Virginia at a retreat. Uh, John was leading it, did an excellent job. There was over 120 young adults there. And most importantly, four of them gave their lives to Christ, you know, that we know of. So praise the Lord. I was very encouraged, you know, when people talk about uh, the next generation or, you know, all the different difficulties there might be, that never worries me for a second because God always has his people. And there was a fire in these young people. They're ready to go. They're ready to go. And the Holy Spirit was at work. And so I was super encouraged. I hope you're encouraged as well. So today we're starting a new series. We're coming out of our 21 days about fasting for freedom Remember, the central truth that we were learning was that you only find freedom in God and specifically in the revelation of Jesus Christ as we behold who he is. Remember, the simple idea is that we become what we behold. And so as we transition out of that series and into the next thing, I wanted to make sure that our next series gave us a great view of the best that we could get, really, of who Jesus is and what that looks like to live like him in our lives And one of the books of the Bible that does this to the clearest is Colossians. And so we're going to start a series in Colossians. We're going to take it all the way through to the summer called Primary Christianity. Hey, Primary Christianity. Primary means first or of chief importance. That's what primary means. First or of chief importance. For example, there are three primary colors in the world. Now, I'm going to get this board over there. While I do that, I want you to tell your neighbor what the three primary colors are. And then I'm going to tell you what they are and see if you get it right, okay? You, you, you should get this right if you, if you went to elementary school, you know. Oh, here we go. Oh, that's bigger than I thought. It's not. Here we go. All right. I already give it away here. What are the three primary colors? What? <laughs> did, any, did anybody get it wrong? Did you think green was in there? Nah, you people need to go back to first grade. Bad, bad on you. So the three primary colors are red, blue, and yellow, okay? Congratulations to those of you who passed the test. And, 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 and a, a no-no to those of you who didn't. Now, to be honest, uh, before I started doing research, I would have put green in there also. So, so red, welcome to Nate's art class this morning, okay? It's very exciting. So, um, I'm terrible at art. But, okay, yellow, you got your yellows, all right? 
And you got your blue. All right, we'll mix it all together here. Oh, it's going to go ahead and turn. See, this is Nate's art class. Gone wrong. Got your blues. All right. Dun, 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 and you have your red. Now, these are the three primary colors in the world. One of the things that's interesting about these three colors is that from these three colors, every other color comes. Now, I've been practicing saying color because those of you who know me say, I say it, Kohler, Kohler. That's how they say it in the South, okay? Kohler. Don't say no, they don't. I'm from Alabama. You can't get more Southern than me. All right. <laughs> Miami's not the South. What are you talking about? Florida doesn't count. Florida's its own thing. It doesn't count. There's no Southern culture in Florida. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Oh, man. This has gotten out of hand. Out of hand. Color, color, Kohler, Kohler. Okay. I always say, you know, in, in English lessons, like colon, it's, it's consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant. So you say the long form of the vowel. I don't know why that doesn't apply to Kohler, you know? So English, it doesn't make sense. Okay. So you have these three colors. Now, the reality of primary colors is that from these three colors, every other color exists. Okay? So if I put yellow and red together, does anybody know what I get? Ooh, you guys are smart. So, right, I'm going to put yellow and red, and I'm going to come out with this wonderful color called orange. All right, does anybody know what I get when I do blue and yellow? There you go. Wow, I'm so proud of you guys. You guys have really accomplished this. So we got your yellow. It's already mixing together. I was trying to avoid it, you know, doing that. There's probably a trick to that. Okay, so... Put your yellow and your blue together. You have green. Does anybody know what you get when you do uh, blue, and, blue and red together? Purple. Good job, everyone. Wow. You guys are smart. This is great. We're going to go from this to much deeper theological lessons. So, you know, this is step one. This is step one of the process. But, yeah, you get purple. If I mix these two colors, does anybody know what these three colors are called? There you go. Wow, wow. I love the interaction here. Okay, so secondary colors. Now, this is the beginning. You mix those together, you get that. And then obviously the steps begin to go from there. If you start mixing all these other colors together, you're going to get other things, all right? You're going to get all the colors. The idea being that from the primary colors, every other color comes, and there is no color apart from these primary colors. They, they flow out of these. And what I want you to understand about your life and really about the book of Colossians is it's the same is true with Jesus. So he is primary. He is of first importance. Without him, nothing literally, physically or spiritually, nothing exists. From Jesus flows all of the things. He is primary. He is first. He is of chief importance. This is the message of the book of Colossians. It's teaching us the primary reality of who Jesus is, and it's going to show us that in form of also who the Father and the Son are. So in Colossians, we learn about who Jesus is, and then in light of that, how we should live. We basically learn that our life will have no color without him. See, it's going to come out. I just can't avoid it, okay? Color, just get, get used to it. Okay, our life can have no color without him, all right? But with Jesus... Our life will be vibrant and radiant. It will be full of color. It will be what it is supposed to be. 
So primary Christianity is putting Jesus first and letting our life be an overflow of relationship to him. I also want to present to you that some of you maybe still be living in black and white, so to speak, metaphorically, a life that lacks color, a life that lacks lacks vibrancy, a life that is dull and bland. And the reason for this is not because there's not a ton of shiny things that you can attempt to make your life worth living with. It's because they don't do it for you, which is why you've realized. And the only way to really live a life, a vibrant life, a life in full color, so to speak, is to connect your life to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And so as we go about this series in Colossians, and as we even talk today, I want you to understand the only way to really live the life you were intended to live and to have full life come to you and to have, so to speak, the colors of the life, the life you were meant to live, be fully activated in your life, you have to start with the primary source. You can't get all the other colors in life without starting with Jesus because from him flows everything else. And so whether this is uh, for your first time to say, man, I need to connect to the primary source to live at all the life I was called to live, and I need to believe and trust in Jesus today. I hope you're open to that. And for many of us as well, it's a reminder, and and as we go throughout Colossians, a, a learning of what does it look like to make sure we're living as if Jesus is primary, and from Jesus flows everything else in our life. In light of that, we're going to start with Colossians 1. So go ahead and open your Bible to Colossians 1. Let's go, all right. Colossians 1, we're going to go to verse 8. And over the next several months, we'll just work our way little by little through this passage. Paul, by the way, is writing from prison. This is around AD, between AD 60 and AD 62, they think. And he's writing to a church that was started by someone else that has now visited him in prison. His name was Epaphras. And so now you have Paul, who's actually never been to Colossae, who's writing a letter to try to address some of the things going on in their church. So that's the 30-second summary of why Paul is writing here. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So we're gonna stop there this morning. The message today is simply called this, the primary colors of Christianity, which are Father, Son, and Spirit. All right, I want you to understand, first and foremost, the reality of our lives, that not only are the primary colors of Christianity Father, Son, and Spirit, they're the primary colors of the world. You don't get the world and everything in it without first it flowing out of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so in light of that, I wanna give you three different realities about kind of the picture that God is painting in the world and your life and how that connects to you. And so the first one is this. Since God is primary, the first reality is this. You can't paint a beautiful life without God. This is just the first basic primary point here is you can't paint a beautiful life without God, all right? So I'm gonna spiritualize this, right? Instead of R-Y-B, all right, you're gonna get F-A-F-S-H, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Those are the essentials of life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is what Christians call the Trinity. It's the Godhead, three in one. 
is the source from which all life flows. Now, before you get into, oh, what is all this? I want to first clarify from Colossians. This passage in verses 1 through 8 is not about the Trinity. It's not about the Trinity. Neither really is this message about the Trinity, so to speak. But this passage, what I want you to see, cannot exist without the Trinity. The rest of the book cannot exist without the Trinity, and the rest of the world cannot exist without the Trinity. The idea here is that from God flows all things. From God flows all things. And then the reason the emphasis of Colossians begins to be on Jesus is that Jesus is the clearest revelation, the clearest picture, the clearest understanding we have of who God is. And so as we focus in on Jesus and learn more about Jesus, we're actually learning more about the Godhead as a whole, Father, Spirit, and Son. Let me show you verse 3. It says, we always thank God the Father. Okay, so we already have this. He's saying, we thank God the Father. Who's he the Father of? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have Father, and you have Lord Jesus Christ, who's also the Son. It's called the Son of God. And then in verse 8 it says, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So in these first eight verses, the connecting points are Father, Son, and Spirit. This is essential. This is the, the source from which everything flows. Now, like I said, this message is not about the Trinity, nor is it an explanation of it. You know, a simple thing I'd say to my kids all the time is our God is three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. That's the basic truth of who we, what we believe about God in the Bible. Now, say what, and some of you might be totally new, or you say, I don't even understand it. And listen, nobody who studied the Bible perfectly understands this all the time. What I, I, if you have questions about a God being three in one, please come ask me. I can give you resources. I'm not going to answer them all right now. But the only thing I want to say about that, just to give you a little bit of understanding, is the only way having one God works without him needing humanity to have relational capacity is if in one God there are multiple persons. So I want you to understand what I'm saying. If you only have, if a monotheistic religion, you only have one God, unless there are multiple persons within this one Godhead, there is no ability to love because there is no one to love. So without God being three, God cannot be one. I mean, love, because if he's just one, there's no community to love. So you see what I understand? I want you to understand this, this, it kind of whittles down from there, that God cannot be God, especially in relational capacity, to be a God of love, to be a God of community, to be a God of joy. God cannot be these things unless he is three in one. And so actually, the Trinity, when you begin to think about it, makes way more sense than any other option because now it allows the fact that God is self-sufficient in and of himself, not just in his existence, but in his relational capacity. God doesn't need to create humans to receive love. He already has full love within the community of the Trinity. God doesn't need anything, in a, so to speak, from humans to complete himself. God is complete both in his existence and in his relational realities, things like love. So I just want to throw that in there for you to say, I mean, the Trinity sometimes can be a complex thing to understand, sure. But it actually makes the most sense, and every other option begins to make less sense than that if we want a God who is both self-sufficient in his existence, but also self-sufficient in his love and his capacity for, for these things, all right? I see you have a hand raised. You can ask me after the service, all right? All right? 
We got super interactive. Maybe we should just start, we'll just have a, a lesson. Okay, this message, once again, is not about the Trinity. But the reason why I'm saying this is because you have to see that from this base, from this base of Father, Son, and Spirit, the entire book of Colossians is written. So from this primary source, like from, from red, yellow, and blue, the entire colors of the world come, so it is spiritually that from Father, Son, and Spirit, entire life comes from that. You have to understand that to kind of get the rest of what, what he's saying here. And then Father, Son, and Spirit, the Godhead, is revealed most clearly in one person, in Jesus. And as we go into Jesus and learn more about Jesus, we're learning about the fullness of who God really is. So that's the reason why I want to, I want to present that to you so you get the, the fundamentals here. A way you could say this really practically is that God is essential, not optional. If you just want to think about your life, and maybe especially for those of you who are still considering or you're, you're online because you're scared to come to church or whatever it might be, you say, I want you to understand God is essential, not optional. Life does not work as it should without God. God is not an optional thing you can consider adding to your life as a benefit. He is essential for eternal life. You can't have that without him. He's also essential to live this life as you were intended to. He's essential for things you're looking for, like joy and peace and love and identity and purpose and value. God is essential to what you are seeking after. And if you do not try to get it from God, you will not find it anywhere else. You will only find fake versions of those things that quickly become realized as something that can't deliver to you that which it promised. God is essential, not optional. It's like primary colors. You can't paint a beautiful picture without them. You wouldn't have colors for it. And like I said, your life will have no color without God. A quick example of this is just yesterday or the day before I was, I was packing a little bag for my youngest daughter, Katie, for her to play while we were at a restaurant. And I, I got her a Peppa, Peppa Pig, you know, coloring book, all right, and just threw a bunch of stuff in there. And I grabbed a marker thing. I wasn't really looking at it. And when we get to the restaurant and pull it out, it's a marker pack, but it's only beige markers. That's it. It's just different colors of brown, beige and brown. It's just a beige marker pack. That's what it was intended to be. I didn't look at it. I didn't think about it. But obviously when she pulls it out, she's very disappointed. You know, uh, Peppa's a very colorful reality, okay? There's blue, there's yellow, Peppa's pink. You know, all these different things. You basically can't, you can't color a Peppa Pig coloring book without the real markers, without colors, okay? You can't do it with neutrals, all right? You need the primary colors, and you need every color that comes out of that for you to actually be able to do the book. The same is true in our lives, is that she didn't have what she needed to be able to complete the book, to be able to complete the picture, and it's so true with us. Without the primary colors of God being in our lives and being the primary thing in our life, we do not have the markers, so to speak. We don't have the colors available to us to actually paint our lives with them. Without God, we don't have real joy. Without God, we don't have real love. Without God, we don't have real forgiveness. Without God, we don't even have deep, real relationships to the extent that God can produce them. Without God, we have no connection to the real realities of the universe. So apart from God, you're just coloring with beige markers. There's no color in your life. The reason why you can't put any color on the page and can't put any joy in your life and can't finally feel loved and secure is because you're trying to do all those things without God. And it's just like showing up with just beige markers and wanting to color red, blue, and purple and gray. It's not possible. 
And so I'm just, my plea with you during this series is really to trade out those, those, the beige markers that you have that are limiting your ability to color your life and to trade them in for the beautiful colors that God has made that he wants to give you. And to do that by putting Jesus first and foremost. You cannot, you cannot, cannot, I don't, no matter how hard you try, you cannot paint a beautiful life without God. And this is true for those of you who need to receive him for the first time, and it's also true for all of us that are trying to find these things in life in other places other than God, and it's not working. And maybe you have faith in Christ, but you're still working with a beige marker set. You're not putting Jesus first. You're not prioritizing his presence. You don't know how to pray. You're not spending time with God. And these things aren't Christian obligations. They're the way you learn to color it's the way you implement real realities in your life, which you can't have apart from that. And so just to have that visual in your mind, I want you to trade out your beige marker box for a marker box full of colors so that you can begin to color your life in. You can't paint a beautiful life without God. So that's the first thing. The second thing then, that's like principle number one. You see from the scriptures here, Father, Son, and Spirit are essential. The second thing that what is God doing now is that God is painting beautiful lives with the gospel. So you can't paint a beautiful life without God, but God is painting beautiful lives with the gospel. What the Father, so, so okay, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's the Godhead. The important thing now is, well, what are they doing? And what they are doing, the scripture says, is painting a picture in the world with the gospel, and the gospel centers once again on the work of Jesus Christ. This is what it says in verses five and six. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. What's it doing? It's bearing fruit and increasing. God is painting the world. He's painting beautiful lives with the gospel, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So God is essential. You can't paint a beautiful life without God. He's essential, not optional. Now, what is God doing? Well, God is painting beautiful lives with the gospel. The gospel is the means, it's the paintbrush that God uses to bring full color into the world. The gospel, simply put, is the message that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead to conquer sin, Satan, and death. So that if anyone puts their trust in the work of Jesus Christ, that person will have eternal life. This is the gospel. It's very simple. Jesus Christ, Son of God, lived the perfect life, one you can't live, that you know you haven't lived, that I know I haven't lived, died on a cross to pay for our sins so you and I wouldn't have to be judged for our sins. And then he's raised from the dead to conquer all of that, death, sin, hell, all of that. And he says, if you put your faith and trust in me, you will have the same thing that I just earned from the cross. And he's saying, no, no wonder now. This message is going all across the world. And what is it doing? Bringing color to people's lives. When it shows up and it brings forgiveness. It shows up and it brings love. It shows up and it brings union with God. It shows up and it breaks chains. It shows up and it takes away the fear of death. It shows up and it gives hope. It shows up and it brings light. The gospel shows up. It's bearing fruit because it's changing people's lives. He's saying, listen, this is what the gospel is doing. And this is what God is doing all across the world. He's bringing the good news of what Jesus has done and making it accessible to every human being. The Bible says that there will be people in heaven from every tongue, tribe, and nation. 
and the gospel is working its way all across the world, and God is painting beautiful lives with his gospel brush, forgiving sins, the worst of sins. There is nobody listening to my voice that has sinned too much to be forgiven by God. God wants to show up and forgive your sins. You have been trying to cope with your sins and struggles, but what you need is for them to be forgiven. Not just forgiven by another human, most importantly, forgiven by God. When that happens, your life begins to dramatically change. God is showing up, and the gospel is making all the colors of life accessible to you. The love that you couldn't get before, the identity that was so shaky before, the purpose that you were so unsure of before, the joy that seemed so unattainable before, the, the overcoming of shame that seemed too great to bear, these things the gospel shows up and delivers you. That's what God wants to do for some of you this morning. What this message is basically saying, what, what Paul is saying here about how it goes forth and it's bearing fruit, he's saying the gospel, look, the message works. It works anywhere and it works for anyone, which means it can work for you too. This gospel message works in every part of the world and it works in every language and it works with every person who believes, which means it works for you, which means it can work for you today if you would believe and trust in Jesus. Listen, I want you to understand this because even for some of you, you're having a hard time seeing how the gospel is working. You see what he says here as well to those who have already believed? He says, it's bearing fruit all over the world and what does he say? As it also does among you since the first day you heard it which means that even though he's going to write some of the things they're doing that they should not be doing, he's affirming that the grace of God is at work in their lives and they need to see it and stick with it. God wants to say that to many of you this morning, though there may be struggles and errors and difficulties, the gospel hasn't quit working on you. And the gospel hasn't quit working for you. The same things the gospel brought to you in the beginning are the same things the gospel wants to help you fulfill and live in in the present the same deliverance, the same confidence, the same restoration, the same love, those things that you received at first are the same things you can continue to walk in now, which is mainly the, the message of Colossians, that what you have received in Jesus, you can continue to live in every day. So in a world of many options, which is also what Colossians is going to present, some people are going this way, some people are going that way, same is true in our world, I just want to encourage you to go with the one that works, you got lots of options of people you can follow and ways you can live your life, but why don't you go with the one that works? The gospel works. It actually does that which it has promised to do. And it does it at a greater level than you can even imagine. This is not true about anything else in the world. The gospel is the solution that works. You need to go with the thing that works. Why are you wasting so much time going with the thing that doesn't work? You know how upset we get uh, when someone changes something up for no reason, you're like, it was working, why did you change it, right? This is true, like, if in sports you're watching, you're like, that play was working, why'd you do something else? So that was true in relationships or a different thing. You say, well, this is working, why would you do something else, you know? This is why we have a hard time with change. It's that phrase we love to use, if it ain't broke, what, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Listen, the gospel works and it has thousands of years of verifiable evidence that it works. And there are tons of people in this room that can testify and say it works. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
Why are you trying to find these things somewhere else when the gospel is always working? And it's the only thing that works. Nothing else works. No one else works like the gospel. This has been proven also, and this is when you look at other religions and how this goes, to say the gospel is the one that actually delivers on what it has promised. The gospel is the one that works. So in a world full of options, why would you choose the one that doesn't work? The gospel works. It works all over the world. It works for your culture. It works in your language. It works for where you're from. It works in the light of your sins. It works in light of your circumstances. It works in light of the bad things you've done and in light of the bad things that have happened to you. In your specific situation, the gospel works. It works. So you need to receive it, some of you, for the very first time to put your faith in Jesus. And many of us need to remember that there's no reason to go anywhere outside of the realities of the gospel for something that works in our lives and in our circumstances. So the gospel, it works. I want you to notice two other, notice, two other realities about the gospel. What does he call it here in verse uh, five? He calls it the word of truth. So the gospel is the message. Like I said, Jesus died and rose again for sins. If you believe and trust in him, you will be saved. The gospel is also the word of truth, which makes it opposite from opinion. The gospel is not good advice, it's good news. The gospel is not in accordance with anyone's opinion. The gospel is the central reality of the world. It's true. And because it's true, this is why it works. Because it's true, this is why the verse says here that people have hope. They have hope because it's true. And because it proves true over time. And something that proves true gives you hope. The gospel is truth. The gospel is true in our minds logically. It is true in our lives spiritually. It is true in the world, the realities of the world. It is the answer to the question on the test. The gospel is the truth. And it says this is the word of truth, not the word of opinion. And I wonder for so many of you, if your life is difficult and shaky because you're basing it on opinion instead of truth. You're living your life according to someone's opinion. You're living your life even according to someone wise and smart's opinion. You're living your life according to the world's opinion. You're living your life according to your own opinion, right? I look inside of myself and I express what's there. That's just an opinion. That's not truth. You need to live your life according to what's true. And what the Bible defines here as the gospel is the central truth of the universe. God made the world. The world has broken. Sin is obvious. There's no, there's no, no d- debate on the, the fact that the world is broken. It's not what it should be. The Bible calls that sin. It's true. That we have broken the world. It's true that we are broken inside. Nobody's going to, how are you going to argue with that? It's true that we're broken. It's true that we can't find what we're looking for in the world. It's true. It has been proven true. How many stories do you need of people getting rich and famous and being depressed for you to stop wanting to be rich and famous? How many stories do you need of someone finding someone that they think completes them just to get divorced later to be just as sad before? How many stories do you need of people that have looked for life in all the wrong places and it hasn't worked and it hasn't worked and it hasn't worked? How many stories do you need? How many do you need? There are a million of them. You know what? It's never worked. It hasn't worked for thousands of years. Money hasn't worked for thousands of years. Other people haven't worked for thousands of years. Being famous hasn't worked for thousands of years. Nothing has worked for thousands of years except one thing, Jesus. Nothing. So what are we doing? It's the truth. It is obvious. Stop lying to yourself. The presentation of Jesus Christ is the thing that makes the most sense in the world. It's the process of elimination also. Nothing else has worked. You're not going to be the first one to make it work. 
You'd be like, well, if I just tried it, maybe it would work for me. That's the dumbest thing you've ever said to yourself. No, Jesus is the one that works. He's the only one that works. And the reason why he works is because it's true. And the fact that it works goes backwards to reveal the fact that it's true. And so put your life in the God. If you're here today and you have not trusted in the gospel, I just can't plead with you anymore to do that. And if you're here today and you're trying to live your Christian life apart from anything in the gospel, you are wasting your energy and time. It was never about you in the first place. You need to trust and live in the gospel, which is according to the truth. You know what also he says here, though? I love this. When you get into the word, you just break it down. It's so fun. He calls it... Uh, in verse, verse 6, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, he says, it is bearing fruit and increasing. It also does among you since the day you heard his it. You understood the grace of God in truth. So not only is the gospel true, but it's truth based on grace. There's a, there's a type of truth that is bad. There's a type of truth that is true, and it's not helpful. There's a type of truth that is true, and it's hurtful. There's a type of truth that's true, and it's harmful to me. There's a type of truth that is true, just because it is true, doesn't make it helpful to me. And the Bible now says, not only is the gospel true, but it's good. It's not just about God being right, but revealing how God is kind. So the gospel grace, so it's a truth based on grace. A truth that requires understanding my sin and the fact that I'm a sinner and I have separated myself from God because of sin. That is not good. and I deserve the righteous judgment of God. I have to recognize that. But the word that speaks in that moment is not condemnation. The gospel speaks words of grace. Yes, you are a sinner, and I'm a great savior, Jesus says. Jesus says, well, I love to save sinners. This is my favorite thing in the whole world. Jesus loves to do that. The gospel is not just truth, but it's full of grace. It's about not just being right, but also being kind. It's a truth that is pure. It's the the best kind of truth. It's the truth that gives you access to blessing, forgiveness, and eternal life. It's not just true for truth's sake. And it's not just true in the form of like, this is true, but you're a jerk. You know, like somebody be like, I know that's true, but that jerk. You know, it's not like that. It's true, and it's delivered with grace. And it's so that when you believe in the truth, your life becomes to get open to all the things you've been looking for in the first place, and it becomes to be full of color. It's a good kind of truth. So God is painting beautiful lives with the gospel. That's what God's doing. And if that's what God is doing, then it would make a ton of sense to attach our life to the main thing that God is doing. If God's essential or work in the world is to paint beautiful lives by giving people the gospel and helping them grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then it would make a lot of sense that if God thinks that's the most beautiful way to paint the world, then you ought to think it's the most beautiful way to live my life. If that's how God is creating this beautiful picture, do you and I think we have an alternative to making a beautiful picture of our life? There is no other way to live then than to attach myself to the purposes of God, to bring the gospel into the world, to bring the gospel to my neighbors and friends, to apply the gospel to my own life every day, to grow in knowledge of love for Jesus, to grow in boldness with the gospel. When I attach my life to these things, my life begins to be full of color. Remember, like we said before, Christianity is not boring, and if it's boring to you, it's because you're not living it right. It may be awkward, it may be hard, but it's not boring. 
And so when you begin to attach your life to these things, it may be difficult. It may require great sacrifice. It may be really hard. Take up your cross and follow me. But it won't be colorless. It won't be blah. It won't be just like any old life. No, it'll be vibrant and full of beauty. Attach your life to the purposes of God. If God's main work is to bring the gospel to the world so the gospel sets people free, then your main work ought to be to join God in doing just that. And when you do that, you attach your life to the beautiful picture that God is writing, the painting, and you get to be a part of it. That's what gives your life punch, you know? Excitement, full of vigor, zeal. So God is painting beautiful lives with the gospel. The last thing here then, so you can't have a beautiful life without God. God is painting beautiful lives with the gospel. It's going all across the world. It's working. And then the last thing for you and for me then is you can have a beautiful life full of faith, hope, and love. What I love about this passage as well is it not only shows the primary source, but it shows the results it shows, we would call it maybe some of the secondary colors of Christianity. In verses four, it says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. These are the realities that can mark your life. Paul has already told us in 1 Corinthians 13 that these three characteristics are the primary uh, overflow of the gospel. They're the secondary colors of, the primary colors of Christianity here. So he says, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is love. Your life can be beautiful and full of faith, hope, and love, regardless of your current circumstances, regardless of what you've done, and regardless of what's been done to you. These truths are not attached to what you have done, nor are they attached to what has been done to you, nor are they attached to how your life is currently going. These three things flow out of the primary sources of Father, Son, and Spirit. And when your life is attached to the primary sources, you get the secondary results. You can have a beautiful life. And it can be full of faith, hope, and love, even in suffering and difficulty, even in times of trouble, which the Bible says will surely come. But these three things, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, these three things abide. Suffering is temporary. Your sins even, in a sense, are temporary. There will come a time in heaven, in Christ, where you no longer sin. The things that have been done to you, although horrible, are temporary. And the things you have done are temporary. Your circumstances are temporary. And the troubles of your life are temporary. But the three things that can mark your life that aren't temporary are faith, hope, and love. And your life can be full of these things if you attach your life to the primary source of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another way to say this is a little long, but I think it's important for you to write down, is that if the Father, Son, and Spirit are the main characters of your life, then faith, hope, and love will be the main characteristics of your life. See the, see the overflow of thought here with Colossians? If Father, Son, and Spirit are the main characters of your life, they're the primary source, they're the most important people, 
the people you love the most, the people you talk to the most, the, the one you're most concerned about, of their opinion, the primary characters of your life, then faith, hope, and love will be the primary characteristics of your life. It's an overflow of attachment that when you are attached to the right thing, you get the right results. Two things I want to point out about this, and we'll, we'll finish. I invite the band to come up, and we're going to close out. And I want you to think about what it looks like to respond to God. There's, there's two things for you to consider. One is he says here about faith, hope, and love. He says, we heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all the saints. What you have to understand about this is that love is a necessary overflow of faith. And where there is not love, there is not faith. So you can't have faith in Christ and it not produce love for others. You see how he says? The faith in Christ and the love you have for all the saints. Love, and this is what Paul says, the greatest is what? Love. Love is the essential characteristic that marks a person whose eyes are fixed on Jesus. Therefore, it is also the primary way you can identify if your eyes are not fixed on Jesus. It is different to call yourself a Christian than to live like one, and it is different to say you love God than to be so captivated with him on a day-to-day basis that it produces an overflow of love for others. A necessary outflow of faith is love. Now here's my encouragement to you as well in this. Look what it says. I love the logic of the Bible. So you have faith and love, and then verse five says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because. So here's the reality for you is that love is started by faith, but it's sustained by hope. He's saying, why do you have such love for others? Because. I mean, what a great word. You love the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Meaning that your hope of heaven is so great and so short to you that it allows you to love with sacrifice and service on earth. You have the kind of life now that is free from needing to maximize the potential of your life on earth, and it's free to enjoy the greatness of your life in heaven. I can lay down my life for others now because I will get something back from God that lasts forever. It's the kind of hope in the future that once really believed allows you to live for others in such a supernatural way that it can only be marked by God. It's the kind of love that allows you to sacrifice yourself. It's the kind of love that allows you to really consider other people more important than yourself. It's the kind of love that allows you to enjoy decreasing, to enjoy being less. It's the kind of love that allows you to serve and to not be selfish. It's the kind of love that manifests way more than feelings, but in action. And the only way to live that kind of life is to be so attached to the hope you have in heaven. He's saying you love the saints and you reveal that and you live it. It's so obvious that you love them. And the reason you love them is because you have a great hope in heaven. And so today I want you to remind you of what Christ has bought for you. That this hope of of heaven that you have, that's where all the real colors are. You know, this life 
has some good things and some bad things. It's a mixed bag, but heaven is only good. Heaven is only perfect. You probably have new colors in heaven we've never seen of even before. That's what we were made for. That's what we look forward to. When we trust in Jesus as our source, what we primarily get is not just abundant life here in many ways, but it's a mixed bag, like I said. What we get is an eternal life in heaven. And when we attach our value or our life to this eternal life in heaven, we become free and able to love on earth. And so I just want to put in front of you again what Christ has done for you. Why does it matter? What what has he bought for you when he has forgiven your sins, when he has transferred you from darkness to light, when he went and died on a cross, what he did for you was secure, not just that you would have some sense of love, joy, peace now on earth, which is available, but that most importantly, you would have perfect love, joy, peace, and purpose in heaven forever. This is the source of your hope. And therefore, it ought to be the power from which you love one another, and the power from which you're able to live a beautiful life like Jesus, a sacrificial life like Jesus. And so as we see from here, you can't paint a beautiful life without God. Some of you today need to turn to him for the very first time. I encourage you now as we respond in prayer to do that. God is painting a beautiful picture, beautiful lives with the gospel. I want you to consider what does it look like to attach your life to that and Finally, you can have a beautiful life full of faith, hope, and love. Are you enjoying that? Are you accessing that? Are you living in that? What does it look like today to respond to God and receive these things he's already bought for you? So the altar will be open down front. I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come down front. I really encourage you now to utilize this time of response to walk in and to apply or receive that which Jesus has done for you. To love him, to thank him, to respond to him. And like we've said, with, your, with, with coming to the altar or just praying with somebody, is using your body to further along that which Christ is stirring in your spirit. And so let me pray. And we're gonna respond to God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, that though we don't deserve it, our life can be full of color, can be full of faith, hope, and love. I pray this morning as we set our eyes on you, Lord, that you would save the lost and that you would fill everyone in this room and listening online with faith, hope, and love from above. And that in this very place and in this very moment of time, we would be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand?